All right. I want to walk us through the stories of Gideon and Peter side by side so that we can see the very similar ways in which Gideon and Peter encounter God. And then I want to talk about our own encounters with God. So first thing is that both Gideon and Peter experience an encounter with God while they're in the midst of a strong sense of defeat. So Gideon, uh, he is greeted by the angel of God, and the angel of God tells him that God is with him, and he calls Gideon a man of valor, which there's a little bit of irony in this statement and this label for Gideon, because at the moment, Gideon's so desperate, he's hiding food so that he and his family can survive. What kind of man of valor is that? The Midianites at this time in Israel's history were stealing Israel's food as a way of kind of keeping their foot on their throats to keep them in slavery. Every time Israel would plant food the, uh, crops, the Midianites would go and tear them up. So somehow Gideon has been clever enough to grow wheat, and now he's threshing it. Did you hear where? At a wine press. Why would you thresh wheat at a wine press? Well, the reason is he, he's trying not to get caught. Who expects someone to be threshing wheat at a wine press? Now, Gideon doesn't feel like much of a man of valor right now. He's a pretty defeated man, and he's just trying to get by. And he's also more than a little bit bitter that the stories he's heard about God don't currently fit with the way he's experiencing God. So Gideon says to this angel, oh, yeah, if God's with us, where are all those grand feats of the past right now when we're in trouble? This is the situation Gideon is in when he encounters God. Now, it's not the exact same, but it's at least similar with Peter. Peter's encounter with God is through the encounter and in, in, through the incarnate Christ. Peter at the time is a fisherman who doesn't catch fish. He's washing nets. He's pulling out all the grass, the stubble, the, the trash, and all the debris that would have collected in the nets while he was fishing. But the one thing he's not pulling out is fish. And it's when Gideon and Peter are in this situation of being defeated that they have their encounter with God. And it, defeated in the midst of their everyday lives. This is their daily existence right now. But there's another layer to this, too. Even though Gideon's defeated, truth be told, he's doing the bravest thing that he can imagine doing right now. He's putting himself at a lot of risk, sneaking around and hiding food, trying to keep his people alive. Even so, God is going to ask more of Gideon. He's going to ask Gideon to do more than Gideon can imagine himself doing, to be the deliverer of Israel. So Gideon first makes this bold claim that Yahweh, the God of Israel, has forsaken his people and he's given them into the hand of the enemy. When Gideon makes this accusation of God, something turns so I wonder if you noticed this as John was reading for us. At the beginning of the passage, we heard that it was an angel of the Lord who visited Gideon. But when Gideon makes this accusation, the Lord himself responds to him. In case you're, if you are looking at your Bible here or you've noticed this at another time, when you see the word Lord written in small capital letters in the Bible, it's because this is the special name that God gave to Israel so that Israel would know him in a special, uniquely intimate way. And it's this name, Yahweh. Yahweh is the God who promised to show steadfast love to Israel for a thousand generations. So Gideon, 
accuses this God of forsaking forsaking his people. And at that moment, the situation intensifies and Yahweh himself, not the angel of Yahweh, Yahweh responds to Gideon and says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the enemy. Do I not send you? In other words, God is saying to Gideon, stop hiding food and go save the people. Now, Gideon still protests. He says he can't do it, that he's the youngest sibling in a weak family. But Yahweh presses in again on Gideon. But I will be with you. So again, here's the situation. Gideon's defeated, but he's doing the bravest thing he can imagine. And still, Yahweh tells him to do more. Now, here's what's a little funny about Peter's encounter with God, with the incarnate Lord Jesus. Jesus confronts Peter at his strongest point. So, yeah, sure, Peter's just experienced a failed night of fishing, but that doesn't mean that Peter's a worthless fisherman. And Peter does know that you don't fish during the day because the fish can see the nets. He's fished all night, caught nothing. You don't fish during the day because the fish can see the nets. He knows this is a waste of time, but that's exactly what Jesus is going to tell him to do. Now, this is exactly where Jesus is asserting his lordship over Peter's life at Peter's strongest point, his professional expertise as a fisherman. So just like with Gideon and God asking more of Gideon than Gideon can imagine himself doing, Jesus is going to tell Peter to go out further to cast his net into deeper waters. Now, this part is funny, too, when you think about it. So Jesus doesn't wait until Peter's going to be in the right mood to tell him to do this. What kind of mood do you think a failed fisherman is in after a night of fishing with nothing to show for it? Friends and spouses are supposed to be wise and strategic when they bring up a sensitive topic. So I've heard some wives say that they've learned not to bring up something sensitive until after their husband has eaten that day. Katie tells me we don't talk about sermons on the same day. We wait. (laughs) Now, what do you think would go through the mind of a man who fishes for a living if he's fished all night, he's caught nothing, and a rabbi tells him to go back out at a time of day the fisherman knows is a worthless time to fish? What's what's a fisherman going to think? Now, here is the rub in an encounter with Jesus with Yahweh. The rub comes whether a person relies on what they know and sticks to their experience, or they choose to listen to the voice of God instead, and they trust that God knows something that they don't. Now, Gideon and Peter both, in their own way, become fully persuaded that they're truly encountering God at this moment in their lives. And when they realize this, they both react in the same way. Both of them are arrested by fear and a sense of unworthiness. Gideon thinks he's actually going to die. And Peter tells Jesus to get away from him because he's a sinful man. Fight or flight don't even seem like options in this situation. Stunned and exposed is more like it. Now, why do you think that this is the common impulse from Gideon and Peter? These are men who are separated by hundreds of years, by the Old and New Testament. But when they encounter God, their response is the same. 
You know, for a lot of us, the idea that seeing God could cause you to die is something silly. It's like something from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And for many Christians, we we have a hard time understanding why Peter would feel like he needs to ask Jesus to depart from him because of his sinfulness. Jesus is only kind, right? He's only gentle. But Gideon and Peter are encountering God in his fullness of purity and holy love. And the only fitting way to respond to God when you encounter him in this way is through confession. That's why Gideon thinks he's going to die and why Peter says that he's a sinful man and he's unworthy of Jesus's presence. Now, how does God respond to Gideon and Peter? It's pretty remarkable here, too. Gideon and Peter, across hundreds, separated by hundreds of years, respond in the same way when they encounter God. But God also responds in the same way across these hundreds of years. Yahweh in the Old Testament, Jesus, the incarnate Lord in the New Testament, their words, their response are almost the exact same. Do not be afraid. Notice what God does not say to Gideon and to Peter. He doesn't say, now, now, you're not that sinful. It's okay. No, Jesus accepts Peter's confession, but he speaks peace into that confession. Don't be afraid. In other words, I'm not going to let your sin stop me from loving you or using you. I'm not going to run away from you because of your sin. Instead, I'm going to do a work in you and through you. Okay, at the end of these stories, both Gideon and Peter receive an assignment, a commission from God. Gideon is to begin his deliverance ministry by delivering Israel from false gods, the gods who got them into the mess they're in. God tells Gideon to take his father's bull and another bull that's seven years old and to go tear down the altars to false gods and build an altar to him. Now, this is Gideon's version of leaving everything to follow Yahweh, the true God. These bulls would have been worth, would have been probably the most valuable assets that his family had. His father would not be too pleased with what Gideon is going to do with these bulls. So this is an incredibly courageous act. He is leaving his father and mother to follow the true God, Yahweh. Now, Peter is to begin catching men instead of fish. He's going to have to leave his fishing nets behind. And there's a really cool image in the word that Jesus uses when he gives Peter this commission for catching men. The word for catching means to catch something alive. Think about that. Peter doesn't understand this yet, but his work from this point forward is going to be to catch people in such a way that they receive life. So the grace that Jesus gives to Peter and it catches him, it's going to reach out through Peter to catch other people and give them life through the good news of God's victory over death and sin through Jesus. What do we do with these stories of Gideon and Peter's encounters with God? I hope that you will hear in these stories God's desire to encounter you 
with the good news of Jesus's death for your sin and his resurrection victory over evil in your life and in the world. I think that we can say with lots of confidence about ourselves, any of us can say that God wants to call you and me into a deeper relationship with him and a deeper kind of co-laboring with him, just like he did with Gideon and Peter. Gideon, go save the people. Peter, go catch men. And the kind of deeper co-laboring that God wants to call us into with him, it doesn't come about through a lot of striving on our own part. It comes about through the grace of God that he desires to work in us. So Gideon and Peter are both terrified when they realize that they are before the face of God. They want to run away or they think they're going to die. But Jesus sticks with them. He shows mercy to them. He assures them of his desire to transform them, to work through them. This is the same thing that happened with the Apostle Paul. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. God wants to call you into a deeper service to him. And that starts not with working harder, but with receiving his grace more deeply into your life. So whether you're a Christian or not, the real question is, will you receive the grace of God in your life for the first time or in a deeper way than you've received it? Will you receive it into specific areas of your life, perhaps where you feel like a failure or perhaps like Gideon and Peter, where you feel like you're doing all that you can do? Might there be a way that God wants to show you his mercy in the place that you feel fully extended, like you're doing all you can do? The grace of God comes to us exposing all of our sin and all the distortions in our soul. And then it says to us, and exposing us, don't fear. It's okay. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to take a moment to pray quietly. <clears throat> to ask God if there's a way that he would want you to receive his grace deeper in your life. I'm going to allow a few moments of silence for you to do that. And then I'm going to close in prayer. And then CJ is going to lead us in the creed. God, we thank you that your grace comes to us in the midst of our lives, in the midst of all the challenges and that we face. 
And we thank you that when you see our sin, you don't run. We thank you that you instead seek to show us your mercy and your transforming holy love. Help us to receive your grace more deeply. And I pray that it would transform our souls and that we would become like Peter, that we would be bold and courageous in serving you in the work you've given us to do. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for dying for our sins and rising to achieve victory over sin and death. In your name we pray. Amen.